Well, good day everyone and welcome back to the Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Raj. Great to be with you, St. Paul's. I think this is only my second Extras, Jack. First one with you. That's right, yeah. First time that I get to be here with you on the podcast. Really exciting. I'm, yeah. I'm keen to get into some of the questions that we've got. We've, we've had a, a bunch of great ones come in. It's always wonderful to get your questions. We love to see that people are engaging with the Bible and keen to learn more. It's a great thing. Um, yeah. Before we get to the questions, Raj, can I just ask you to give us a reminder of what happened on Sunday and... Where were we in the Bible? Where were you preaching yeah, from? Yeah, well, look, worth just, just saying, um, the way things worked out just at the tail end of school holidays, um, I was on Isaiah 11, one of the real high points of Isaiah, mm. but I was there at North Rocks and at afternoon church and evening church. That's right. And so if you're listening from early morning or morning, uh, something that's will be new to you, and maybe particularly for those listeners, can you give us a sense of, yeah, Isaiah 11, what do we see, you know? Brief snapshot of what you preached. Yeah, snapshot. That's an excellent question. Look, Isaiah eleven, um, as I just said, one of the one of the real high points of Isaiah, um, because up until Isaiah eleven, we have this extraordinary picture of desolation and bleakness, mm. and then Isaiah eleven, it, it talks about this turning point, um, and it talks about a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and it it just it goes from there and. As New Testament readers, we know that's talking about Jesus, and we'll talk more about that when we get into the questions. Yeah. But it, it goes from there to talking about the character of Jesus, um, and also it talks about the impact of what Jesus does, um, and it talks about how that changes the world. Yeah. And fascinating, 700 BC, we start to get a glimpse that the gospel um, is going to benefit people beyond the nation of Israel. Yeah. Um, so all of that in one chapter in Isaiah, 700 BC. Um, that's what we talked about. Yeah, I mean, 700 years, it is astonishing. I really appreciate the way you started the sermon, thinking about, you know, when something big is coming, you plan, and the more important it is, the the bigger the plans, the more effort goes in. So, yeah, to think that 700 years early, we have this announcement of the, the peace and reconciliation that yeah. the king's going to bring, yeah. yeah. Quite striking. Yeah. And it's clearly struck a chord with many because we've had some questions come in, and we'll get into them. First, we've got a few questions working through some of the details of the passage, and we'll basically work through the text in order. So if you are listening along and you have the chance to have your Bible, it would be helpful to have it open at Isaiah chapter 11. First question is about verse 3. So you mentioned this shoot will come up from the, the stump of Jesse. Uh, we hear about how the Spirit of the Lord is going to be on this figure who will come. Verse 3 says, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And some of us texted in asking, What does it mean to delight in the fear of the Lord. What does that look like? And I mean, this person may particularly be thinking, it is a striking phrase in a way. It's, yeah. uh, fear sounds like a scary thing, you know? What does it yeah, mean to delight yeah. in fear? And <clears throat> I think that's part of a challenge with um, us as people living in the Western world in 2021. Uh, for us, the word fear has a whole lot of negative connotations. Yeah. And I used to say, a couple of decades ago, I used to say, look, the word fear is about a translated respect. Mm. But respect also can have negative connotations. <laughs> yeah, it's not much better these days. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just depends on the context in which you're using it and mm. depending on the culture where you're from. And so so respect even can, can carry, not always, but can mm. carry a sense of, you know, it's an outward um, deference, if you like. Yeah. But internally, it's not something that you... Um, really want to do but you feel like you have to do for a cultural or whatever other reasons sure and so fear can can just be that to the next degree and and as you said you know we think we're afraid and so on and so on but really when it in the bible that that whether it's respect or fear it what it means is it's just talking about um having an, an appropriate 
reverence mm. for the Lord, and Lord here is capital letters. Yeah. Um, and so, so we can go into this if if you want to, Jack. But but um, many will be aware when it's capital letters, it's talking about Yahweh. Yeah. And it's translated as Lord because um, uh, people didn't want to use the personal name of God or the closest we have to the personal name of God, and so they've gone for Lord. Yeah. And and so it's just talking about an appropriate um, response to uh, to God. Now, delight mm. is adding in a very heartfelt element. Yeah. And um, um, I think we come in, into the New Testament, actually, and we see it talks about Jesus in these terms, which is mm. one of the reasons we know this is talking about Jesus. And so it's a really positive thing. Um, and I think what I said on Sunday, I think it was afternoon church where this came up, and I just said that the, the idea here is that we love the things God loves, we embrace the things God loves, um, um, and we we sit lightly to the things we know that God doesn't like. Mm. Um, we we learn to hate the things that God hates, and so on, and so on, and so on. So this is what the phrase is getting us into. This term, fear of the Lord, it's a significant theme through the whole of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Yeah, we read some things. <clears throat> we saw it in a big way in Proverbs at the start of term one. Proverbs, the fear huge. of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really goes back to the Exodus. And I think um, my memory is in, in Exodus, that's where the term starts to... And it, it, it does that as a way of trying to shape our own response to God mm. um, in appropriate ways. Yeah. It's not intended to have the, the negative connotation of fear or the ne- negative connotation of respect that we often bring into that today. Yeah, really helpful. I think that this phrase is quite helpful even in, in clarifying that and giving some, some shape to it. You know, maybe you could even say from this verse, if your idea of fear in God isn't something that you could delight in, I think that shows you that you've misunderstood fear in the way the yeah. Bible talks about it. Yeah. But yeah, you look at Jesus as the person who embodies this, right? He is the one who feared the Lord. And I think that's right to say, Jesus feared God. Maybe that sounds funny to us, but yeah. a verse like this shows us that that's who he was. That's that, that reverential awe before God. That's the thing that characterized him. But it's not a terrifying thing. It's delight. It's, it's joy. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, I think your, your picture of heartfelt awe there is really helpful. Yeah, thank you. We'll keep going. Uh, we'll come on to our second question. So coming down a little further in the passage from verse 6 onward, we have these amazing images. The, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. We have these pictures of predator and prey together. And it says, a little child will lead them. And a couple of people have texted in in different ways the same kind of question. I'll, I'll summarize it if I can. Um, Raj, you gave us the sense in, in, the, in the sermon that the child here is referring to Christ. How do we know that the little child leading out the the leopard and the goat is referring to Jesus? It's an excellent question, um, or questions that have come in in this area. And <clears throat> we know that <clears throat> as, as New Testament readers of the Bible. And so when we read Isaiah 11, it's one of those passages you read, I think, on this side of Jesus. And you just see exactly how this is talking about Jesus. So if we broke the question down into, did the readers of, of you know, 700 BC when Isaiah was written, did they know that it was Jesus necessarily? Well, no, they didn't. They didn't necessarily know what God has in mind. And for them, that's part of a point, just to keep trusting God. He has something in mind. The, the picture of desolation is going to be overturned mm. into a great picture of delight and joy and <clears throat> Um, another exodus so it's talking in you know mammoth proportions and when we come back having understood 
the coming of Jesus into the world, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to be at the right hand of God, we're now able to come back and look at these kinds of things and say, ah, that's what it means. Mm. And and so that this is one of those examples where um, it's important when we read passages, any passage in the Old Testament, we ask ourselves the question, how is this fulfilled in Christ? Yeah. And, and when we ask that question um, and bring New Testament into it, that's when we look at this and we say, oh, the child, that's Jesus. That's the baby born in a manger. Yeah. And, um, uh, of course, he grew, but, but, but that's the reference, the child who's come from um, the stump of Jesse. So I'm hearing you say, in Isaiah, this is, in some ways, you know, there's a little, some, you know, a little bit of a looking forward vagueness. That, that it is just this beautiful poetic picture, if you like, of, you know, peace. The, the child leading out the, the leopard, like there's something, you know, bizarre in that for us. But that's the kind of picture of just harmony and that kind of thing. For us, with our New Testament goggles on, we look at that and we know that a child has come to bring yeah. that peace. Is that... Uh, summary Look, of what that's spot getting. on, and yeah. you could even take that a step further, and this is, can be a bit mind-boggling to think that, because the New Testament, I think it's 2 Peter tells us, that actually um, the words of prophecy in the Old Testament were not written for the people of that time. They mm. were written for us. Yeah. So what it's actually saying is the, the pages of the Old Testament, um, yes, they had an impact for people at that time, but actually they've been written for us. Mm. So that's I just find that mind-boggling yeah. to, to ponder. That's right. Really helpful. Uh, we'll keep going again. Coming down to verse 8 now, again in this, this picture of harmony and the, the different animals together, uh, verse 8 says, The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Now, Raj, when you preached this, you were talking about the the hostility between humanity and the snake. You pointed us back to Genesis 3 and the promise that one would come to crush the serpent. I've had a, a couple of questions thinking about that. Uh, someone's asked for a, maybe, a, I guess, a question about their own reading of it. Uh, someone's saying, that's how you explain it. But isn't the point more that Jesus fulfills the curse by crushing the serpent's head rather than living harmoniously, which is the picture we have here? Yeah, how do we understand understand that? Um. There's a thank you for the question again. Uh, whoever has put it in, uh, there's a sense to which both are true. So yes, mm. the point is that that Jesus has undone the curse, and one of the implications of that is the harmonious living. Um, now I think it's fascinating here that some of the phrases it picks up on very much take us back to the image of the cobra or the snake, um, and there will be hostility back in Genesis three when the curses are given, mm. and here we just have an image. I, I, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful not to press the details too far sure. because it's poetry, as you said. Mm. And and so Isaiah 11, you know, has some some broad allusions back into Genesis 3. Yeah. But I just want to be careful not to try to map all of the details one for one and how they kind of all fit in. Sure. Because Genesis 3 is also poetry. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. so we, we just get into those sorts of issues. But the overall point, I, I think, is it's coming in the way you just expressed it, Jack, in the question, is it's right. The point is, um, <clears throat> Jesus... So there, 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 there is a picture of harmony. Um, you can see that picture of harmony without needing to go back to Genesis 3. Mm. Isaiah 11 on its own terms really spills that out quite yeah. Snake is one of the dangerous animals among many. Yeah, and, the and the wolf and the lamb and the mm. leopard and the goat and so on. Um, 
But nonetheless, it is also talking about the same concept of going mm. back and seeing this time. Um, and, and that's the mammoth proportions on view here of the time coming when, because of Jesus, the little child, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, those curses will be undone. Yeah. Um, so please, if you want to keep talking about this, Jack, please do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, you. I think as you read the Old Testament, you do get... There are sort of echoes throughout of the snake thing. Like, you could almost do a little biblical theology of snakes. You know, I think of Numbers 16-ish, whatever it is. You know, Israel are wandering in the desert and they're grumbling and they're, they're complaining and then the plague comes and the snakes come and they're biting people and, and, you know, Moses prays and God says, make the bronze serpent and look to it and whoever looks at it will be healed. Yeah. Like, you see there, I think there's another echo of Genesis 3. There's the, That's true. The snakes are the I ones that are there. That. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I think the fact the, that snakes... The snake symbolizes something. Yeah. And which is echoed in our own, well, most people's response to... Exactly. I was running the other day, actually, and <laughs> on this path and there was a what was clearly a red belly snake. Yeah, right. And, you know, okay. Uh, anyway, the, 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 I lived. It's okay. Uh, I'm but glad I to survived. hear it. You looked to the bronze serpent, I assume. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but my reaction, and I think for the reaction of most, is mm. that's something that really has been in place ever since Genesis 3, mm. for those reasons. It's part of a curse, but hostility. Yeah. And here in Isaiah 11, we have this incredible picture of, the, of being on the other side of that. Yeah. I might ask the next question because I think this is a, a good lead into it. Uh, someone again picking up with this verse. Uh, Raj, you said that one day there'll be no more hostility between humanity and the snake. Does that mean that when Christ returns, the devil will no longer be our enemy and he'll live in close proximity to us? I'm confused, this person says. And some of us maybe as well, yeah. I mean, it is. how do we tease these images apart? You know, this, if the snake in Genesis is representing Satan, is this saying that... One day I'll put my hand into Satan's nest and play near his den, you know. Yeah, help us understand that. Well, I think, it, 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 again, it's a great question. And can I just say, I love the questions coming in. They're so good, aren't they? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, people really we, look we at We hadn't the captured them, you know, here because um, at North Rocks we had live questions, which was mm. also excellent in another way. Uh, but it does mean we can't, you know, pick up on those specifically here. Um but this particular one, I, I think the big picture of the Bible is is to say when you end up in Revelation 21 and 22 and you have this incredible picture of the river of life, you again, you, you have this picture of harmony as a reality mm. between God and his people. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that Satan at that point doesn't exist. You know, in fact, we are talking earlier, Jack, and you talked mm. to, you just, you know, there's, there's dogs outside the gate and so on. Um, but, they don't have the impact on God's people yeah. that we see in this world. And and so, you know, for those who, you know, are into the technical terms and things, at the moment we're in an overlap of the ages mm. where we have um, elements of both, so to speak. We have elements, all, all of the good things we enjoy come from God. That yeah. often isn't realised. Indeed, um, yeah. Um, and, but we also have the impact of the evil one. Mm. through a whole variety of ways. And and so we're living in this world that has elements of both. But the Bible says, I think 2 Thessalonians 1 is the place my mind goes, that people mm. um, um, will be shut out from the goodness of God yeah. um, on the other side of this. So that's not to say, at least my own understanding, and there are some differences others have on this, but my own understanding is, current understanding I should say, because I'm very happy to be challenged on this, but my own understanding is that doesn't mean 
that Satan doesn't exist, mm. but he won't have an impact on yeah. those who belong to the Lord Jesus in the way that he currently does. Indeed, yeah. And we're going to keep that in Ephesians, actually, Ephesians 6 in particular. We'll get that, we're, yeah. We're going to get there in a few weeks' time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you raise Revelation. Like, I think that's a really helpful kind of case study almost in this. Revelation 21, yeah. God's people with God. He will be our God. will be his people. No more crying, no more pain. Yeah. And then the verses just before that, end of Revelation 20, the dragon is thrown down into the lake of fire and yeah. he will be tormented, the devil yeah. and his angels, day and night forevermore. So I think this question... Um, it it, it is, may not be a pleasant journey on the way. Yeah. Um, the end state is, yes, God will yeah. make sure that the devil is no longer our enemy, but that's not because the devil is going to be reconciled and brought to peace no. with us. I mean, no. he will be at peace, but it's a peace of conquest he'll be subjugated and never again rear his head to trouble the the children of god yeah yeah thank you we'll keep going uh coming down again further down the passage someone's picked up an interesting little detail in verse 15 so uh, this is the section starts with you know he'll raise the banner for the nations and you really helpfully helped us to see how god's raised up jesus as the one to all the nations stream that kind of thing there's a little detail in verse 15 the Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. And someone has texted in, is there a significance of those seven streams there in verse 15? You know, I, I again, I, I love the question. I, um, I have not looked into that particular question about seven streams, seven and, and we're getting into the territory here of um, numbers are, or at least can be, significant in the Bible. Mm. At the same time, I think there's a danger of, you know, we can go overboard with that. Yeah. And and so how do you work out when is a number significant and when is it not significant? Is it just an incidental thing to make it concrete for us? Really good question. You can go down the whole numerology path and take all the numbers of Revelation and multiply them together and calculate the exact date Jesus is coming back That's and all those it. kinds of things. That's it. Yeah. And Google it like it's been done. Mm. And and so I haven't read here the reference to seven as being um, particularly significant. Um, but please hear me sitting lightly to that. Have you yeah. thought about it, Jack? I mean, you know, seven is typically the, the kind of the completeness number. It's you know, God made the world in six days and then the seventh he rested. There's that kind of wholeness. Um, I think the picture here, I mean, the thing that says to me is you take a, a massive river like the Euphrates River, which is significant for the people of God, uh, you know, those who end up being in exile beyond the Euphrates River, you know, that river yeah. is this big barrier separating the people from the promised land. And the point here seems to be that little river is going to be broken up into these little streams that anyone can cross over in sandals. So... You know, the next verse, verse 16, there'll be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria coming back from the other side of the Euphrates. It's like, you know, you take the big Parramatta River and just break it up into seven creeks and you'll be able to just walk across it. There'll be no barrier to coming back to the promised land. I think that's the point of the picture, right? This is I've God's... never thought of a Parramatta River quite like that before. <laughs> well, you've never had to walk across <laughs> it, right? Like, you, got, you know, we've got plenty of bridges to help us. But if, if that was the thing separating you from, from the promised land of, of Carlingford, you know, you've got a got to find a way to get across. I think that's the point of the picture yeah. to me. See, in which case, for me, seven doesn't add too much to it. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but but if, if, if someone out there has another... If you're listening and please, you put some more thought into it, it that's right. Yeah. It. yeah, yeah. That's right. Send us a Connect card and, and tell us your theory. We'd, be love to, we'd love to have a listen. 
for now, I'll keep going. Uh, one last question to, to wrap this up. Now, Raj, as you uh, brought us to think about the way Christ fulfills this passage in Isaiah, the great vision for him raising a banner for the nations, uh, you, you gave us that language of the great commission conscience, which is a really striking phrase. I've certainly never heard before, and it's been ringing in my ears since Sunday night. You know, how how has my heart been captured by Jesus' great commission for us? Someone's texted in, uh, we should all have a great commission conscience, but we can't all be involved in full-time ministry. So what does this mean for everyone? What other ways can that conscience manifest itself in us? I, I love the question. And um, um, since Sunday night, the person who put that question in has identified themselves to me, and I thank you for that too. Um, and <laughs> we won't dub you in live on air. No, we won't. We won't. <laughs> we'll just check Facebook or anyone else. <laughs> Look, it's an excellent question, and and that is getting us into. I apologise, Jack. I made up the term "Great Commission Conscience," or I picked it up from somewhere else. It's not a thing, but I think it says a lot. I, I don't think you should apologise. So I think it's a really it's, evocative um, phrase. Yeah, and and hopefully, helpfully evocative. Yeah, because absolutely, not everyone can be involved in full time ministry. Mm. Um, but everyone should have a great. Everyone who loves Jesus should have a great commission conscience. That's yeah. a big part of the reason we're in the world. And I tried to talk about that scene at the end of a, I was going to say Titanic movie, but also at the end of a Titanic, it's a real thing, yeah. <laughs> which is quite Indeed. graphic, yes. about plucking people out. Um, that's a great commission conscience, and mm. that should express itself in the Christian life, I think, um, for everyone in some way. Now, now um, it is true, not everyone can be involved in full-time ministry, but I think I would also say, particularly to people who are trying to work out how to use their lives, um, um, it may be the case that they can, and mm. and it may be the case they've been gifted by God in a way that they should. Yeah. Um, um, now, well, that that that's a big topic, and I know I'm t- treading on some some difficult territory for a variety of reasons. And um, something that we talk about pretty often on the extras. So for our listeners, you know, this is a familiar topic, and it's one again. Yeah, as you said, we want to keep banging that drum as well. Uh, not everyone is cut out for this, but some of you out there listening may well be. So yeah. we want everyone to well, I, consider that. I, I'm sure that some mm. people listening are. Yeah, indeed. You know, the, the very nature of listening to the extras, are they wrestling with the Bible at this mm. level to, the, to this extent, going through this effort. Yeah. Um, and oh. people will be so gifted. But I also want to say, you know, this is not all about full-time ministry. Mm. This is far broader. Yeah. And um, I think just what occurred to my mind in the context of Awesome last week were the 40-odd leaders plus others Mm. who went along to serve in that way. Um, But again, let's not even focus just on a few days. There's people who serve regularly um, in order to help people understand that Jesus can be their banner. Yeah. Pick up on language of Isaiah 11. So someone, you know, one of our youth leaders, maybe working a full-time job, already putting himself out in the week, just, you know, giving the time to, to do the job that they've been yeah. been given and then to be captured by the Great Commission of Jesus, wanting to raise up the youth of St. Paul's and their friends yeah. to know Jesus. You know, you're saying that's a way that the Great Commission Absolutely. conscience might manifest and, itself. And, and so certainly there's a great example, mm. but also for those in kids' ministry, for those on membership teams or a variety of other teams. Last night we had a growth group leaders meeting. Over mm. 100 people came and others were watching online and... Um, um, you know, those people are captured by a Great Commission conscience too. Yeah, I mean, last night, you, you just reminded me, we had one of our leaders up the front having an interview, yeah. sharing how 
you know, man, it can be hard sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard enough being out there in the, the workforce every day and then they get home and just want to watch some Netflix and then they're remembering, actually, you know, I've been entrusted with these people. I want to prepare to understand the word well so I can teach it well. That was a, a great example of someone yeah, pouring out energy in the service of the kingdom, wanting and, to see and, disciples made. And, and you heard about the sacrifice and it's not always easy going yeah. and so on and so on. But the other thing I want to say on this, Jack, is... Um, Yes, we work, but it's not like we work over here and then serve somewhere else. Mm. Um, the Great Commission conscience, I think, also expresses itself in the work that we do, uh, by which I mean we all work with people. Yeah. And and most of those people we work with, well, unless you work for a Christian organisation, and some people do, mm. um, but, but most of the time, they're the people the Lord has brought us into contact with, yeah. who are people who also desperately need to know the banner of of their life can be Jesus. Mm. Um, so there's a whole variety of ways. Um, if, and I think another way to to just even come at this, you know, we looked at, I mentioned this, we, we look at the life of Jesus and so often he, um, the way into him helping people understand uh, forgiveness was healing them physically. Mm. And and that, that, now, he didn't want that to overtake he, he, he withdrew, interestingly, yeah. at times when it was on the verge of overtaking. Um, but nonetheless, it was a way into. And, and so there's a whole bunch of things that have developed in the modern day to try to do exactly the same thing. Now, again, there's the danger it can overtake. Mm. Um, but it's also a, a way in which the love of Christ can be brought to people um, for the end of them understanding forgiveness of sins and having Jesus as their banner. Absolutely. It's really helpful. I mean, obviously, this is a, a huge task. This is the Christian life, in a sense, working out how we figure out the Great Commission conscience and how it applies to us in the specific situation God has put us. You've given us some great thoughts to get us started that. But for all our listeners, that's something to keep thinking on and asking each other and, and working out together as we seek to represent Jesus to the world in all the different ways that we've been given the chance to do. But thanks for getting us started on that. Thanks, mate. That's the end of our questions. Uh, before we wrap up, Raj, could you give us a, a sense of where we're headed this coming Sunday? Where will we be in the Bible? We yeah, look, I've been looking forward to this. We're, we're coming back to Ephesians. So I think we started, uh, well, I know we started the first half of Ephesians 1 when I started, in fact, four weeks yesterday I started, Jack. Four weeks ago, yeah. Um, 28 um, days later now. 28 days later. <laughs> so so give me another week and you know, I'll know everything about the balls. <laughs> looking forward to that, yeah. Um, but Sunday, we're coming back into Ephesians mm. and we're really continuing on in Ephesians for for the term. We're going to finish in Ephesians 6, I think, toward the end of term 2. Growth groups are also operating in conjunction with, with that series. So it's an opportunity for us across St. Paul's to really be digging into Ephesians. And um, I've called it Rebels of Grace and you'll see how I'm going to, well, people will see how I'm going to play on those terms a bit as we go through. And Ephesians is just one of those incredible books of the Bible um, that helps us understand the salvation we have in Christ, how special it is, and we started to see that in Ephesians 1, and also how it transforms us, mm. and very deeply. And so it's going to be challenging, it's going to be encouraging, um, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be some assurance of salvation there, and that's an issue many struggle with. Mm. Um, and it's going to get us in some really, really practical areas. Really looking forward to that. Sounds great. 
Uh, the, the particular passage we're focusing on Sunday is chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. That's right. I believe. Yep. So if you're listening and you're keen to read ahead, it'd be great to jump into that second half of Ephesians chapter 1. And we will see you on Sunday as we come to the Word of God together. Looking forward to it. We'll catch you then, and bye for now. Bye, everyone.